Good morning. Welcome to Deadly Days, Tales of Dark Fantasy. Uh, I'm Joe Bandel. I'll be your host today. Every week I share one story uh, from stories that I have translated and I specialize in stories by Hans Heinz Ewers uh, or Carl Hans Strobel or from, I also translate stories from Der Orchidean Garten, which was the world's first fantasy magazine. We get stories from that and also from Cocaine Magazine, which came out in 1925. Uh, this is today, it's going to be a story from Cocaine Magazine. But before we get to that story, I'm just going to say that if you like these stories, and some people really, it's an acquired taste, you could say, but the people who really get into these stories, they can't get enough of them. If you would like to have print copies or to read these stories and more stories, novels as well, uh, they are available online at lulu.com. Lulu is L-U-L-U dot com. Um, the website that takes you directly to my page would be www.lulu, which is L-U-L-U dot com slash spotlight slash anarchist banjo. Or when you get to the Lulu site, you can do a search and you can look under my name for Joe Bandel, band like a rock and roll band, E-L. Or you can look up the author, Hans Heinz Ewers, Carl uh, Hans Strobel, or you can look up Dear Orchidean Garden, things like that. Or just do a Google search online. You'll find, you'll find me there. Um, so anyway... Let's get going with uh, this one. And what's interesting is today's story kind of in an interesting way ties in with our modern. It's an old storytelling about an old, uh, telling about a pandemic a little bit. Uh, so we've had our own experience to deal with that. But this story, the much beloved, A King's History from the Days of Rococo by Edward Stilgebauer, the hamlet around the Petite Trianon was alive. The warm sun of, late, of a late April day poured its liquid gold over the green spring meadow on whose carpet the white margarets and the blue forget-me-nots resembled an artistic embroidery. The slender daffodils and the deep purple crocus flowers glowed in the emerald-colored dusk. The shadows of hundreds and hundreds of statues, which the 14th Ludwig had erected to create atmosphere, stretched out further and further. 
but bright laughter and joyful chatter still resounded over the living carpet in the hamlet of Petit Trianon. Burgundy was being served all around. The royal court, dressed as shepherds and shepherdesses, lay in the grass of the park. The Duke of Agolan blew a sentimental tune on his hunting horn, and the Countess of, of Dewberry laughed. Another glance of wine, La France, she called to the old servant, who was moving forward with difficulty because the pouring was not easy for him. My old La France has become a fool, Dewberry turned to the plump Abbe Terry, who was lying adjacent to her in the grass and blinking contentedly in the sun. The Abbe burst out laughing. La France is indeed getting old, he finally replied. I might just burst in here and say La France in the story refers to the king. The king was called La France. He was getting on in years, confirmed Dubarry once again, and with a smile lifted her mouth up for the wine that the aged servant offered. She threatened him. If you spill a single drop, fool, you will get to know me later. Something flashed for a moment in La France's eyes. Okay. Again, I'm interrupting the story a little bit, but I think I'm going to do that. Uh, La France, or the King of France, is playing the part of a servant in this, as these people are sitting in a grassy glade. Kind of interesting. The clerk company felt silent. Dewberry tried to calm him down. It was just a joke, old man, just like the one you played on me yesterday. Sire, insisted the lips of La France. Oh, very well, sire. There was a long pause. The court no longer knew where the mood of his majesty was now going, whether he was inclined to allow the continuance of Dubarry's poor joke or whether the hour was now approaching when he would, inch by inch, become the king once more. La France himself finally broke the painful silence. That pettiness is just small potatoes, Countess, and he graciously turned away from Dubarry. But what was that story you wanted to tell me earlier, Malpo? Your secretary was in England. Oh, it was nothing important, sire. And once more, Dewberry grew bolder. Don't be so curious, La France, she warned. In these hours, while you are La France, there is to be no mention of your majesty. That was part of the agreement. The king surreptitiously clenched his fist. But Dubarry smiled, that smile on the way the black streets, streaks of makeup moved on her painted cheeks, always appealed to him. He could not resist, despite his 56 years. So, tell me then, Mao Pao, if His Majesty commands. La France laid himself back down on the lawn. 
The wind chime tinkled next to him as the wind licked at his hand. The painted and bejeweled ladies of the court drew closer to Dewberry so they could listen. My secretary was indeed in England, sire, Maupo began. And has the chancellor brought news from there? He witnessed an execution in London. Well, how interesting, the countess said, and unanimous sighs came from the ladies of the court. I really long for an execution. So what did your secretary say about this execution, Maupo? The countess turned reproachfully toward La France. We haven't enjoyed the pleasure of a large and public execution in Versailles or Paris for a long time now, La France. He nodded his white head in confirmation, and his wig rocked back and forth. Yes, Countess, an execution in the grandest style has not been seen since the days of Damien's. The face of the beloved darkened at such memories. He remembered in full horror that fatal day in January, 17 years ago, when he had narrowly escaped death in the courtyard of the Palace of Versailles through a miracle of God. My secretary says that in England they do it much more simply than we did here with Ravillac and Damien, said Maupo. The figure of the much-beloved sat up straight in the grass of Petit Trianon. Ravillac and Damien's were royal assassins, my dear Maupo, he said. Things are not so simple with men such as them. The smile died on the face of the fat Abbe de Terry. Royal assassins, he repeated, and it seemed to him as if this thought itself was the foundation of the church upon whose fat he whose fat benefices he lived. Enough of such talk. So how do they do it now in London, my dear Mapo? La France asked once more. The Chancellor turned to the king. They cut off the heads with a machine, sire. With a machine? That is delightful. Very much according to taste, Maupo continued eagerly. It is a kind of falling blade which rushes down with lightning speed and simply shaves the heads off. The way my secretary tells it, sire, the ancient Persians made use of such an instrument. Your majesty, now would be a good time to introduce the simplicity of such a device into France. Be silent, Maupo, cried the Countess Stewberry. My throat itches just to hear about it. Do not paint the devil on the wall. Who can guarantee that the days of this machine for France are really that far away? La France laughed. I promise. I will not introduce this machine. I swear it to you. I will keep the old tried and tested method within my realm. Tried and tested on Ravillac and Damien's. But that method is very cruel, sire, said the fat Abbe de Terry. A well-deserved punishment, declared the Duke of Aguillon. 
More Burgundy, La France? demanded Duberry. I'm sick of Mopo's story, a machine that is used to cut off the heads of people. I find that, in a word, disgusting. Chancellor, completely disgusting. Disgusting. If I ever thought, no. Another glass of Burgundy, please, La France. The fat Abbey was so overcome with the shivers. The Chancellor apologized to the King. You gave strict orders that I should tell this story. The glasses clinked together. The sound mingled with the doleful tolling of the bells suddenly resounding from the church tower in Trianon. La France stood up. He turned toward Dewberry. What is that, Countess? What is going on at this hour? Are those the death bells of Trianon? I don't know, lied Dewberry. The king listened and listened. The clinking of glasses stopped. The wind carried the tolling of the bells of the church of Trianon more clearly and ever more widely. Then the beloved stood up. He began to walk toward the bells, and in that moment no one found the courage to call him back. I expressly forbade it, hissed Dewberry to one of the ladies of the court, lying in the grass next to her. Her horrified face became deathly pale. Expressly forbade that they bury her here today? I know that, Countess, but you cannot argue with the mayor of Trianon. She must be buried here today. There would have been an uproar if the people knew that she died of the plague. At these words, an icy shudder went through the body of Dewberry. Is that for certain, my dear? Really for certain? Of the plague, she asked. It is for certain. Meanwhile, the king strode further and further into the green twilight of the departing spring day until he neared the exit of the park of Petit Trianon. The people of the court began to pay attention. But what is wrong with you so suddenly, Countess? asked the Duke of Auguillon. Nothing, nothing, said Dewberry evasively but the full-moon face of the abbey and the narrow face of the chancellor had become stiff with fear. The king must have been vaccinated, one burst out suddenly. Ask that of his personal physician, Duke. All that is entrusted to him. In frozen horror, the duke, chancellor and abbey, stared into the face of Dewberry. This person that they're burying down there died of the plague and the king, countess. The duke finally stammered in horrified understanding of the inexorable truth of the countess. So now do you finally understand, duke? And you, you countess, have sent him to this person? What do you want, Duke? What do you want of me? said Dewberry defensively. It was his wish. In this court, there is only one rule. 
Summa Lex Regis Voluntas. The Duke, Chancellor, and Abbey fell silent. The three men stared at the woman as if she were a demoness. In the meantime, La France reached the exit to the park. He met the procession on the country road, the bearers of the coffin, whom were followed by only a priest and two young acolytes, recognized the king. At his wave, they stopped. Who are you carrying to be buried? A young girl, sire, that has died of the plague. At that, La France fled from them as if from an angry mob, and the pallbearers took up their coffin once more. She was with him at the castle, said one of them. Certainly, they would have spoken of it in Trianon. And the little funeral procession set once more into motion. Two weeks later, France and the world learned that the beloved had died of the plague. That's the end of the story. And it's interesting that such intrigue still goes on today. Anyway, until next time, I hope you've liked that. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Take care.